0: Most of us learned our extensive knowledge of time travel and how it works from uh, Doc Brown and Marty McFly. But long before the cult classic uh, Back to the Future was released in 1985, popular imagination was fascinated by time travel, going back in time or going forward in time. As early as uh, 1843, when Charles Dickens wrote uh, A Christmas Carol with its, you know, ghosts of Christmas future and ghosts of Christmas past, uh, or even the H.G. Wells classic, The Time Machine, which was written in 1895, people have been fascinated by the idea of time travel. All of these novels sprang from the human desire, which wonders just what control we have over our own destiny. Maybe you've wondered what it would be like to go back to a younger you. And live your life over while at the same time knowing everything that you know now. I've thought that. Maybe it's just a foolish dream. Yet, we're still fascinated by the possibilities, aren't we? Maybe you've gone somewhere. Stepped through some doorway. Crossed some threshold somewhere. And all of a sudden been... Taken back in time, uh, childhood memories rush back. Maybe it was a particular smell or a particular place. I've had that. Today's passage that we're looking at in Jude deals with time travel. Sort of. <laughs> you see, Jude has asked us to contend for the faith that was, past tense, delivered For the saints, once, for all. And it's implied for all time. Last week, we considered what is at stake. The risk that the church is facing. And we also considered what type of people that Jude is warning us about. Well, today we're going to continue on that same theme by exploring a key strategy in our fight for the faith. Whereas in previous weeks we've only bitten off two verses, today we're going to chew over 11 verses, so we need to get cracking or we'll run out of time. But before I read them, I'm going to point out a couple of things to look for to help you see the structure of this Little section, and then at the end, I'm just going to make three observations that I think will be important for us to take note of. So here's here's just a bit of a roadmap for this little passage. Number one, Jude begins by asking us to recall something, something from the past, something that he wants to remind his readers and us of. Number two, Jude continues to flesh out the type of danger that we need to recognize in these outsiders who look like insiders, who are distorting grace and denying the lordship of Jesus Christ. And then number three, Jude finishes by helping us to see that the very... that we need to recall the truth from the past was actually given then as a means to help us see the danger now in effect jude is saying that the past as god sees it defines our present okay so let's read the text see what jude has to say we're going to read from jude verses 5 through to verse 16 Now, I want to remind you, although you came to know all these things once and for all, that Jesus saved a people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their own position, but abandoned their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains in deep darkness for the judgment on the great day. Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns committed sexual immorality and perversions, and serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. In the same way, these people, relying on their dreams, defile their flesh, reject authority, and slander glorious ones. Yet when Michael, the archangel, was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body, he did not dare utter a slanderous condemnation against him but said the Lord rebuke you but these people blaspheme anything they do not understand and when they do understand by instinct like irrational animals by these things they are destroyed woe to them for they've gone the way of Cain have plunged into Balaam's error for profit and have perished in Korah's rebellion These people are dangerous reefs at your love feast as they eat with you without reverence. They are shepherds who only look after themselves. They are waterless clouds carried along by winds, trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead and uprooted. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shameful deeds, wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. It was about these that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied. Look, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly concerning all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners are set against him. These people are discontented grumblers, living according to their desires, Their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. I just want to make three observations about this passage. First is this sin is serious. We must seek godliness. If you've got a pencil and you want to take notes, have a look from verses 5 down to verse 10. Jude begins by reminding his readers about the seriousness of sin. The first way that we contend for the faith is actually by seeing sin in its true light. As soon as we gloss over sin or um, minimize sin, excuse sin, the battle is half lost. Sin must be seen for what it is. Have a look at verse 5. Unbelief leads to judgment. Jude reminds us, and quite interesting in fact, he says that it is Jesus who saved a people out of Egypt. But some of those people Some of the very ones who saw God's salvation, who experienced the miraculous hand of their God in bringing them out, in fact, turned against God in unbelief. And it led to judgment. Even the ones that Jude says Jesus brought out, he says, some of them, those that did not believe, were destroyed. Unbelief leads to judgment. Verse 6, rebellion leads to judgment. Jude moves from reminding us about those that came out of Egypt and he quickly swings to this curious passage about angels who did not keep their own position, but abandoned their proper dwelling. They rebelled against God's purpose for them. It led to judgment. So not only does unbelief lead to judgment, rebellion leads to judgment. I think this is a reference probably to Genesis 6 verses 1 through 4 where you get this very peculiar passage about the sons of God who saw that the daughters of man were beautiful and uh, they took them as wives and had children with them which was uh, something outside of God's purpose for them. But then sexual sin leads to judgment. So not only unbelief, not only rebellion, but now Jude reminds his readers of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns. I think it's connected to these angels who took the daughters of mankind because they saw they were beautiful, and even though it was not part of God's purpose and plan, uh, they rebelled. And it says, in in a like manner or likewise... The people of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, they they gave their lives over to a sexual perversion. It led to judgment. Sin is serious. We must seek godliness. We must see sin for what it is. It's the first step in contending for the faith. Here's the second observation I want to make. False teaching is dangerous. We must seek the truth. Again, if you're underlining, you can sort of close in verses 11 down to verse 13 here. Again, he comes back to these people that have snuck in, outsiders who look like insiders, you know, wolves in sheep's clothing, as it were. The thing is, these men are nothing new, they're just contemporary versions of old sins. He reminds us of Cain. Cain tried to define his own way to approach God. And then he murdered his brother out of jealousy. Balaam sought to speak for God with his own words. In an attempt to profit from being a prophet. Then Korah. Korah was one of those that came out from Egypt. Korah was the ringleader who rustled up a discontent crowd to rebel not only against Moses' leadership but ultimately against God's purpose. Korah led a rebellion against God's appointed plan seeking to tear down another in attempt to lift himself up And yet all that it achieved was his own destruction. Yet Cain and Balaam and Korah, in some ways they live on in the false shepherds. They live on in the wolves. They live on with those who slip in by stealth, seeking to distort grace and undermine the lordship of christ we must look for them but don't follow them then there's this little list of five descriptions that in some way give us a picture of the danger of these types of men these type of false teachers first is this he calls them hidden reefs not sure if you've ever gone canoeing or whitewater rafting uh, down a creek like this i 've done it over a few times. there are times where the water 's rough, and you can tell there 's rocks and obstacles underway. other times where it isn 't. I remember being on a um, speedboat in a river once we were skiing and decided to find a new spot in the river to ski and It was a bit of a narrow section and it looked it looked deep it it looked unhindered and we we went through foolishly at a fairly quick pace until we suddenly hit something that we hadn't seen a hidden reef hidden reefs leave shipwrecks and Jude likens false teachers to hidden reefs and they make shipwreck of lives that follow them then he calls them waterless clouds (laughs) Australians know about drought don't we About clouds that appear on the horizon, giving hope that rain might come, but then the day finishes and it's still dry. They're false clouds, giving hope when there is no water. Waterless clouds leave you dry. These false teachers look like they're something, but they have nothing to offer, and they leave us dry third he says they're fruitless trees a tree that grows in an orchard which should produce some sort of fruit but here they are and they're not producing anything fruitless trees leave you barren then he calls them wild waves not sure if you've ever been by the coast after a storm the waves might be powerful and wild but they seem to toss up all the filth and the dirt and, they, and there's a, a foam which gathers on top of the water, which is a dirty looking. And if you go into the water, it sticks to you. And that's what these people are like, Jude says, wild waves that leave you dirty. And then fifthly, he says, they're wandering stars. Stars have been used for generations as a way of navigating long before GPSs were invented. To be able to pull out instrumentation and measure the points of stars, you could figure out where you were on the surface of the earth. But these stars, Jude says, they're wandering. They're not fixed in place. Wandering stars leave you aimless, not knowing where you are. They can't be counted on. So false teaching is dangerous. We need to seek truth. Last observation is this. Jude says, God's judgment is certain, and we must seek grace. The final way that we contend with faith, the final way that we contend for the faith, is by recalling that God has already written the end of the story. We contend with confidence because we know that not even the gates of hell will prevail against God's church, Christ's bride. So, so while we must take this fight seriously, we don't lose heart. We contend with confidence because judgment cannot be escaped. It is sure, seen and foretold from the beginning of time. But we must also remember that judgment comes for all. Even as the angel of death swept through the entire land of Egypt in that final plague, destroying anyone who was not protected by the blood of the Lamb, so too we face judgment. It is inescapable. And our only hope is still found in the blood of the lamb. God's judgment is certain. So seek the grace of God found in Christ. So let's contend for the faith by going back to the future. We must recall sin is serious. Seek godliness. False teaching is dangerous. Seek truth. And God's judgment is certain. So we must seek grace.